As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. I know I'd go from rags to riches If you would only say you care And though my pocket may be empty I'd be a millionaire. What's up, everybody? No witty pun this week. We are back. Welcome to Real Chronicles, brought to you by RealTalking.com. I'm your host, David. I'm joined with today. Jenny is back. Hey, back guys. again. Jenny's back. Tell a friend. <laughs> Jenny's back. Jenny's back. Jenny's back. And Leo. Hey guys, and Ryan from an undisclosed location in parts unknown. Pretty much, yeah. How'd you know? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no nicknames today. We're taking it very serious today, guys. All right, we are back celebrating the 30th anniversary of one of the best films of the 1990s, one of the best films of all time, one of the best films ever made, one of Martin Scorsese's best films. Goodfellas celebrating its 30th anniversary this September, but we decided to bring up that celebration because what else do we got to do nowadays? So before we get into all the Goodfellas talk, let's get into some news. First bit of news is what many of us expected, the cancellation of SDCC. For those that don't know what SDCC is, that is San Diego Comic-Con. Why are we talking about it on this podcast? Because that is where studios have their big panels and reveal news and notes and first trailers for their upcoming slate. So no DC, no Marvel, no nothing this year. Nada. No Star Wars. Although I've noticed that Star Wars over the past, I think, four years have kind of backed away from San Diego and just uh, announced everything at Celebration. But but Marvel and Marvel and DC, I think DC would have had a good showing this year, especially with the news that I'm going to get into later with JJ. I think that upon with the news, I think DC would have had some decent... um, stuff at their panel so that with that set being said i think we're going well, to they, go ahead right well they haven't canceled new york on so maybe by then hopefully things can get a little back to if, normal one i can w- go there if i i would love that but from leo and i can probably and jenny can probably i don't know if you guys will agree with me but i think new york is too small for that kind of environment well, I think basically what it's going to come down to is that the only way, because they, they're actually even saying that like once measures are put in place to slowly roll out and bring people well, back I'm not, to work. I'm not and talking do all about that. the cancellation. I'm talking about if we do have New York Comic Con. Yes. Marvel is too big to be at New York. There's not enough space. Okay. Yeah. And I, I, think, I think you called it out with, with Star Wars. I think all the Disney franchises. Typically, like they have a D twenty three, and they kind of keep it to that. Like, if anything, if Warner Brothers did it, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think it's anything. I don't know. I don't. I don't think they would announce it that big. So when they when they broke the news, or when you guys broke the news about the cancellation, like the first thing that went to my mind is even though it hasn't officially been announced, like I don't think New York's happening at all. And even if it does happen, you have to then like contemplate how you're going to decrease the population because there's no way you're going right. to try to have max. So I think. 
I mean, I don't think we're going to get those numbers that we usually get every year if we do have it. Um, no one's going to be able to travel. I don't think that travel ban is leaving. So if we do have it, it will probably be people from New York and New Jersey and Connecticut and people that can get here by, you know, train or, or car or something along those lines. It'll be what it was maybe five years ago, five, six years ago, a local con. If that's something that's unfathomable to say nowadays, if we do have it, it may be just a tri-state area con. Would you like, and, and like, and like, this is like an honest question for you too, because I know you, you've all been there. Like if they, if they do release the travel ban and they, you know, the Babbitt Center for some reason is cleaned out and in time, would you guys go? I think I still would. Despite my current anxiety, I think I still would. I would want to go, but I would definitely take more measures. I think it wouldn't be exactly the same experience, though, because I feel like if I'm going, I'm going with my disposable gloves. I'm going with a face mask, um, which might be Comic-Con related. It could be cartoonish or something. We'll all be in in cosplay. And, um, you know, but there would have to be, I mean, with the amount of people and if it was smaller, there would be more room, but definitely I think the distancing would have to be better. I think there would have to be just more um, staff on hand that I think should be like just different things that they would have to put in place, I think, to make me feel safer to go. Um, I take the risk because I also feel at the same time we can't hide, but I think we need to do exactly what we're doing now, staying home being careful um you know not going out unnecessarily um and just trying to like beat this out so that it doesn't come back i mean it's always going to be around but so it you know the risk is less yeah so we'll see what happens uh i think with medication maybe available by october and a vaccine by 2021 i think we could be in good shape so Hopefully, hoping for the best. Uh, next bit of news is Peacock launched earlier last week for Comcast subscribers. Ryan, do you have Comcast? No, I'm a Verizon guy. You're Verizon? Okay. And we don't have Comcast around here. So anyone anyone that is a subscriber to Comcast, you have early access to Peacock. With that being said, there are some trailers that released for some of the Peacock shows. And while I thought I was going to wait till 2021... With the office moving to Peacock, I think I am in with the Save by the Bell trailer. Yeah, yeah that. <laughs> it looks it looks cute. It looks cute. It looks pretty good. It looks actually it doesn't look corny. It looks actually pretty decent. Well, I actually thought it looked cheesy, but that's compared the to same Full way, House, no, no, no. But that's the same way I felt about Fuller House. That I thought the beginning was really cheesy, but as the seasons went on, the writing got a lot better. So there were cheesy moments, but it was all about. It just it it all fit well together, so I feel like this is going to be kind of the same thing. Were you guys fans of the uh, Girl Meets World revamp? Loved it. Yep. Yeah. I loved it. it gave me it gave me Girl Meets World vibes. It gave me like, oh, this is going to be good for both generations. I can see this. Yeah, I do think it's a little bit it's a little bit more serious in Girl Meets World because of the network it's going to be on. I know a lot of uh, complaints. When Girl Meets World was canceled, was being on Disney. And they couldn't take risks like they did with Boy Meets World because of uh, the network they were on. Yeah, a lot of people wanted wanted Netflix to actually pick it up and take it so then they could kind of just, like, have more um, older themes and freedom. And just like Boy Meets World, Girl Meets World had a catchy theme song. 
<laughs> Very catchy. All right. And then the other trailer, I was never, I, I wasn't, I don't even think I was born when the show started, but that Punky Brewster trailer looked interesting too. Yeah, yeah. it did. Same with you, Dave. I don't think, it wasn't part of my childhood. I don't remember it too much when I was growing up. No. But it looked good. Yeah, it looked good. And then next bit of news here. First look at Dune. I don't know if you guys had a chance to look at the photos that I put that I posted on the Instagram. Yep. It looks looks amazingly beautiful. I don't know how it's going to do box office wise and I have I'm not talking about the pandemic. I'm talking about the original Dune is a very 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 slow burn. Although I do like I do love Denis Villeneuve and I love everything he's done. Uh just the cast is stacked so looking forward to that. Last trailer uh, for the week that I wanted to mention was the Capone trailer. What do you guys think? Awesome. I can't oh, wait. God, Hardy looks unrecognizable. Oh, yeah. So I'm glad that you guys said that. I was hoping that you guys said that. Do you guys want to know who directed Capone? Yeah, please. Josh Trank, director of Fan Force, Nick. <laughs> wow. <laughs> This movie is going to be awful because it was originally supposed to be a film uh, theater release and it got moved to digital before the pandemic even took place. Do you think this is one of those things that maybe because we have been quarantined and we haven't seen anything new that anything new looks amazing to us? And we're yes, still because, yes, because I am looking forward to watching that Chris Hemsworth movie that's coming out on Netflix this week that I would normally shit on, but it's something new, so I am like... Hype. That is going to be a Friday night watch for me. <laughs> um, I agree with you guys. Capone, uh, Tom Hardy looks unrecognizable as Capone, but I, I don't think this is going to be any good. As long it doesn't have a very high bar to set, as long as it's better than Gotti, I think we're in good, we're in a good spot. Yeah, actually, I noticed something interesting too during the trailer. There's very little Hardy dialogue. It's a lot of other people speaking and not him. So I'm like. Apparently, what I've read is that his accent is not very good. (laughs) So I think that's I think that's why I think this film has been in production for a very long time. So this is Josh Trank's first film since Fan Stick. Oh my lord, his career! (laughs) Yeah. So just to show what that movie did to his career, and last bit of news: I have two more agendas. Two more news items on the agenda here. Bob Iger is back as CEO at the Walt Disney Company. I think that's pretty ballsy of him to just say, you know what, I'm going to take, I'm going to write, take my control back, and I'm going to keep making, I'm going to make sure that this ship is continues to stay afloat during this whole pandemic. So uh, I think that's kudos to him on that. Yeah, I love it, dude. Jen, any comment on Iger? No, I think, um, I think it's a good idea that he takes over um, because he clearly knows what to do. But at the same time, I mean, I'm sure he's working in collaboration with the new guy because the new guy's got to learn anyway. So, you know, I think more than anything, it's I'm sure like the news headlines say he's taking over, but I'm sure it's a collaborative effort between both of them. Yeah, agreed. And then last bit of news, this just broke on Friday and I think Ryan's probably going to be the most excited about one of these items. J.J. Uh, Abrams is going to have three shows on HBO Max. Uh, one is called Duster. Don't have much information on that. 
The t- other two are a Shining spinoff called Overlook. And a Felicity oh. reunion? Well, that's not part of the three that oh, I have here. Um, Overlook is a spinoff of sorts based on the iconic hotel featured in, in Stephen King's 1977 novel and Stanley Kubrick's 1980 film The Shining. Featuring characters from the horror thriller, it explores the untold terrifying stories of the most famous haunted hotel in American fiction. The project reunites Bad Robot King and Warner Brothers. So I think it could be like an anthology series of different ghosts from the hotel. But I guess we'll see what happens happens there. And then the one that I think excites uh, Ryan is Justice League Dark. Yes, I saw that. Yeah, that does. You know what? That does excite me a little bit. (laughs) Because I know I know throughout the year that you've been very you've been a big fan of the animated Justice League Dark stuff, right? Yeah, definitely. Like metamorphosis. Brian had to take a minute to be like, yeah, yeah, that really does excite me. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's awesome. So this features such characters as Zatanna, Deadman, Swamp Thing, John Constantine. Uh, Over the years, Warner Brothers has attempted to get a big screen version of Off the Ground with filmmakers such as Doug Lyman, Guillermo del Toro coming in, coming and going, but they never were able to get. Uh, this to the big screen. I think this this will do be- much better on the small screen. I think. Oh, definitely. Is is Batman in in the animated version of this? Yes, he is. Okay, just making sure. Yeah, I'm, 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 I was going to ask Ryan um, if because um, I remember there was a, there's an animated movie of it too, and I remember Batman plays a part in the animated movie. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking about. Yeah, yeah that's what, so that's I think why it's on the network. It it is. It's on DC Universe. I the reason I asked is because I remember the when the Blu-ray was released a couple of years ago, Batman was on the cover, and I was like, wait a minute, is Batman in this? So because <laughs> I've I've never read the books, I've never read DC because they released the comics in 2011 for for Dark Uni- for Dark Universe. So uh, yeah, it should be interesting. It's a lot of people were making jokes this week. Uh, over the weekend because of it's JJ doing it. How apparently Star Trek fans don't like JJ. I didn't know that. And yeah, I didn't yeah, it was a meme going around how he killed Star Trek and apparently he killed Star Wars. Now he's going to kill uh, DC. No, that was Zack Snyder. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and as a Star Trek fan, JJ didn't kill Star Trek. Yeah, I, 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 I actually. Star Trek kills Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, because I don't know. I. I'm not a big Trekkie, and I don't pretend to be, but I love the JJ films. But I was watching, I've been rewatching Comic Book Men over the past few days and past week, and they were talking about Star Trek and Star Wars and how start the Star Trek show was less action and more talking, and the Star Trek film are. The, the JJ Star Trek films are more like the Star Wars films that actually has more action and uh, less talking. I don't, I don't know if you guys have seen the show. I don't know if you got what you guys think, uh, Leo or Ryan. Yeah, I've seen bits and pieces, and yeah, I'm with you, Dave. I've, I used to always believe in the Star Trek versus Star Wars like war, and I've always been Team Star Wars. But even when I got over that, I couldn't even get into anything Trek. And then Leo, you're a big, you're a bigger fan, right? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Trek fan, so I not not original. I'm more animated. Um, the uh, Next Generation with gotcha. Picard and Riker. Um, 
But even then, like, I think, to be fair, I think what people were annoyed about with Abrams was that he kind of, he took a chance to, to revamp the continuity so that he could be making original stories. So, like, it, it's kind of like that, the same thing with, like, Last Jedi or when, when people feel like their the canon is being messed around with, they get really defensive. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm a fan. I like it. Let's move on to some quarantine highlights from this week. What have you seen? Leo, take it away. <laughs> well, as everyone, as everyone, everyone's been, uh, I guess, aware of, I've um, been rewatching Sopranos. My, all my attention has been focused on Sopranos, and I finally finished Sopranos. And it's, um, it's after rewatching Goodfellas. I wish I had rewatched Goodfellas before Sopranos. Um, just because I like the, the the crossover between both yes. of them. Is and we're go- and we're going to get into that because I have a lot of information regarding that. Yeah. But like kudos to everyone that like specifically like uh, Kevin, uh, David, Ryan, like any, anyone that's pretty much pushed me onto watching the Soprano show because it's still like it's still a subject matter that doesn't really intrigue me. But the show is incredible. Like um, during the performance, I told Dave offline, um, I had to keep reminding myself that this show aired before Breaking Bad, before any of the shows that had came after it, and without it, none of those shows probably would have even been considered to be made. Um, really, I, I, I don't know why people were, I, I remember people were like bummed out about the ending. I thought it was a cool ending. I thought that it was a pretty like clear type ending. Um, it's, what's a lot, your... it's a lot clearer than people make that people is, you know, made it out to be. I think it's easier for you to deal with the, to understand the ending because you watched everything on a binge. So you kind of saw like the cookie crumbs being spread all over the series. Yeah, you know, that's a really good point. Yeah, because I saw it, like, very, very fluidly, right? So I watched the whole last season very, like, one after the other. And I think you're right. So to me, um, I think that the abrupt cut, well, first of all, just the direction of that scene is incredible. Mm-hmm. Like, the tension just fills. And, like, you, you literally feel yourself like you're part of Tony's world. Tony has to be on his toes, everything that happens. I think the abrupt cut means that um, he is killed. That um, the conversation that he had earlier with Bobby on the boat, where he's like, "You don't see it coming," you know, you don't hear what happened. I think that that was like the little bit of an illusion that this it was going to be an abrupt ending. Um, if that's not what happened, that's cool. But that, that was my take on it. Does this make you excited for many things in Newark, or you still just don't kind of care for it? Oh um, no, I'll watch it. I definitely want to see because I think new, um the, uh, the the movie is actually a, is a prequel to the family, right? Yes. Or is it a yeah, so I, I'm I'm way more intrigued to seeing like the yeah the history of it. Uh, yeah, definitely makes me excited for it. Just because it's um like as I realized, and we'll get into it during Goodfellas, the uh that that historical part of it, I'm cool with. I really want to learn more about that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm all in. I'm all in on this. So I think that the ending leaves. I think he le- Chase leaves crumbs throughout the final season that merits your thoughts that he does get killed and the thoughts of he doesn't get killed and i personally i could one day i may think okay yeah maybe he did die but i also think that the song that's playing is evident to me if i wanted to use the argument that he did survive that part of the song even though the movie ends it goes on and on and on I think that's what made me start believing that he did survive. And this is Chase just telling you, you're getting one last look at him 
through his eyes. And I actually think this is the first time you actually get through his eyes how he's weary of everybody that's around him. And then when it cuts to black, his life just continues. We're just not a part of it anymore. I think the song plays a big factor into that scene. And like I'm with you. I think that scene is perfection. It, what you did say something that I didn't want to bring up that killed me and Kevin and Ryan. What did you say about Tony Soprano, my friend? Yes. Yeah, so despite the fact that I love the show, I think the show was incredible. I hated Tony Soprano. Um, <laughs> you kill me, man. You kill me. You fucking yeah, kill no, me. Look, it's funny because like, I I had to second I second guess myself after I said the words. I'm like, what is it? Is what is it about this that I'm not getting? Right? Why don't I? Why, why are I not a fanboy of Tony Soprano the way everyone else loves him? So I went online and I started reading like um, message boards and, and articles that were written. Um, luckily, I, I think it's just a matter of like. He is a despicable person. Like, he is a vile, disgusting human being. But people want him to succeed because you see all his struggles and all his, like, like his character development, his wars, his, like, internal monologue, his growth. Um, yeah, but, like, personally, when it comes to me and Tony Soprano, like, I, I just feel like there were so many things that, that he could have done differently that would have prevented so many different characters dying. I'm not a big fan on the whole, I guess, uh, organized crime in, as it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at one point, I was rooting for Phil to kill Tony. <laughs> I, mean, I think, I think, I think, yeah, I, mean, I think everyone will be better and more happy if Tony's gone. I think Chrissy will be alive. I think that um, Carmelo could probably definitely grow as a person she way better know. than he She, you see her grow. I'm Team Carmelo, by the way, but like you see her grow through as the seasons progress to a to a degree. I think for in the beginning, she you know she's this mobster's wife. She knows what she is. She married into the life. She knew who he was, where he came from, what he does, and all of this stuff. But then she hasn't, and she's lived that creed. Like she takes care of the house, she takes care of the kids, but she hasn't really. But then she started like I think what season three, she starts to study for her real estate license to like do something else you know or she starts to take a a, an interest in like investments and like things like that so that's like she does start to grow as a person but yeah and to and to piggyback off what jenny said and tony's the ultimate i guess anti-hero which is very similar to what we're going to be talking about in a few minutes with goodfellas yeah because i'll i'll say this off the bat i'll take tony soprano over henry hill any day of the week Yep. Any day of the week. And hot take, Henry's I think cheater. Henry Hill fucking stinks. Just want to put that out there. We're going to get into it later. Henry <laughs> Hill legit stinks. Henry Hill. I, I, I love Henry Hill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think you like a rat over Tony Soprano. That's why, why I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not about that whole BS loyalty and don't rat up the family, bro. Like, yo, screw that, man. You look out for your people and look out for who you love. He didn't look, look out, out for look who out for he your loved. People. He didn't look out for who he loved, Leo. He looked out for himself because yeah, they were but gonna, he didn't rat until the end. They were going to kill him. Yeah. They were going to kill him because he had to because his people were gunning to kill him. Exactly. Oh, he had to. He had to rat. So he did. He. Oh, we're going to get I into mean, it. We're gonna regardless, into <laughs> even when you rat, he, he rat or not rat, he was going to be done for no matter what. It didn't matter whether or not he ratted. I agree. And it, to and it, to finish to finish off our done, our Sopranos done. talk, I think going back on your Chrissy, I think Chrissy was probably gonna die of an overdose. 
and that had nothing to do with Tony Soprano. Him uh. on the drugs had nothing to do with Tony Soprano. Tony looked after him for six seasons until he was like, you know what? Like, this guy is ruining his own life because I'm watching season four when Tony tells Chrissy, you're going to be the boss of this family one day. I actually thought that's where the show was going to end up going, that Chrissy was going to be groomed to be the, the boss at the end of the fa- at the end of the series. But he fucked it up himself. Tony had no part of that. That was all Chrissy. I don't blame I don't blame Tony at all for like the at the very end the last switch. I think that I think that being in that environment of organized crime and everyone drinking and everyone doing things wasn't the smartest thing for him. Um, I, if anything, it, it was that final the, the drinking. I think that was the after that there was no coming back for uh, for Chris. But Tony did everything he could to help him out. Tony couldn't really. I guess in order for Chris to survive, Chris needed to get the hell out of that world. Yeah. And I don't think that was going to happen one way or the other. Yep. He 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 became one of my least favorite characters on the show when he was one of my favorites when the series started. So I think in the end on The Sopranos, I think it's the best show of all time because of everything that it inspired. TV is what it is today because of The, the Sopranos, like you mentioned before. Okay. There's no, sh- there's no yeah. Breaking Bad. There's no Ozark. There's no The Wire. There's no any of these shows that are t- that are grounded in reality and are very dark. There's none of that without The Sopranos. So, so well, what I came got- first, Oz or Sopranos? I believe Oz oh. by like a few months, but I don't. It obviously didn't have the impact that The Sopranos. Did. To continue on this theme of gangster life. I highly recommend Boardwalk Empire on HBO. So good. Um, definitely one of my favorites that I've seen because it's all it's all takes place in Atlantic City. Steve Buscemi is the lead. Um, Terrence Winter, I think, produces or created it. And it's all between basically I think like nineteen ten to like about nineteen thirty. Uh, in old school Atlantic City, like when it was just being built up and everything, and then it's all about like organized crime and like just other things that happen there. And it's really, really good. It's a strong show. Um, you'll see also in three episodes a very young Charlie Cox before Daredevil. Yep, with his original accent. Tony and Tony B is the lead, which uh we love Tony B on The Sopranos. Steve Buscemi. All right, uh, Jen, what did you watch this week? So this week I actually haven't watched much because I have been playing Animal Crossing, <laughs> thanks to friend of the show Kevin, who got me into it. So I'm actually on day four. I haven't gotten to play yet today, so I'm a little bummed, but I will. Um, so no I did real fin- high. I did finish uh, Downton Abbey, and I have been watching Insecure with Issa Rae on HBO. I actually caught up to season four, which is currently ha- happening now every week. Um, and I thought that was a really good show. She's hilarious. And Downton Abbey, I finished completely. And then basically anything else that David's been watching, I have seen on cool. and off as I walk into the living room. Ryan, what about you? I saw Parasite, finally. And? and I loved it. <laughs> I <laughs> can definitely great. see why I won Best Picture. That's so great to hear. Another buddy of mine, um, Ben, he texted me last night and I was knocked out. He's uh, he, he calls me by my Spanish name. He says Davi, and I texted him this morning. I'm like, oh my bad. Um, I was sleeping. He doesn't respond by text with 
actual words. He just sent me a screenshot of a, a film by Bong Joon-ho. And I was like, yes, another one. And I asked him <laughs> what he thought. And he said, I'm so happy that you told me not to watch anything, not to read anything. Because watching the movie Blind was the best recommendation you could have made. And I hope that was the same thing for you, right? Well, I had a little idea because, like I said, I read the uh, synopsis real quick. Okay. But besides that, no, I uh, – and you were right by one thing you said. I will never look at Peach the same way again. <laughs> it's it's um it's pretty crazy. But the movie just goes in so many directions. And we – one day we'll break this movie down because I still don't want to mention too much about it on the podcast because there may be people out there that still have not seen it. It's on Hulu. You guys have no reason anymore. Just, just exactly. watch Parasite. All right. And then some quarantine highlights for me. I rewatched the entire Star Wars franchise. Um, I upgraded my Blu-rays to 4K, so I decided to just run through them all. It's uh, 1 and 2 still stink. Uh, 3 is very good. Very, I think it's the most underrated of the franchise. I don't know if you guys would agree with that. Uh, Rogue One is just gets better every single time. New Hope is still great. Empire still the goat. Return of the Jedi, I, it's better than I give her credit for, I guess. Uh, Force Awakens is still great. Last Jedi just gets better and better. Rise of Skywalker is is good. Yeah, I, I I think I dropped it down one one ranking there. But what I did want to highlight was I did see this four and a half hour documentary called The Search of Darkness. It touches on every almost every fil- eight fil- horror film released in the 1980s. And it is so insightful, so deep. It pretty much showed me some horror films. And I, you know, I claim to be such a horror expert. And these movies, I, some of these movies I had never heard of before. Two of the ones that I saw that I highly recommend are Chopping Mall and Society. Chopping Mall is exactly how it sounds. It's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty much how these robots lightning strikes these robot security guards and you go crazy and start killing people at the mall that that's about it <laughs> and then society is one of the most ridiculous movies i've ever seen in my life the first it's a 90 minutes first hour and 10 minutes are you're pretty much run of the horror movie with little creepy things going but the last 20 minutes let's just put it this way there is a scene that i showed jenny because it's a screenshot on Shudder of a man who has a face on his ass. <laughs> a literal face on his ass. His asshole is a face. And wow. It, it listen, listen. I think the movie so the movie's called Society and what I think it's trying to even though it's crazy at the end what I think it's trying to its message per se is that it's the how the higher class, the upper class, the rich class looks at the lower class and they sometimes suck everything out of the lower class. I think that's what it's trying to say. But the body horror in the last 20 minutes of that movie are insane. I would give it a shot. I trust you guys to be open, Ryan, Leo, to give it a shot. Yeah. It's it's fucking bananas those last 20 minutes that's all i'll say where can we find it it's on shutter so okay i think shutter is offering a free 30-day trial 
throughout this right. pandemic. So, and I think after that, it's only three ninety nine. So, if you guys get that free trial and give it a shot, I'm just, I'm actually very curious to see if you guys watch it, just to see what you guys think. I expect the text messages to be going nuts throughout the throughout the last twenty minutes of that movie. And do you remember the, the runtime, David? Do you remember how long the movie is? Ninety minutes. Okay. Okay. So it's not it's it's in and out honestly, and it goes by quick. And I will say this: the face on the asshole is not the craziest part of the last twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna sign up right away. And then one last thing on the face on the asshole: the face on the asshole does talk. So I just wanted I wanted to just lay that out. So you guys should check out Society and Choppy Mall now on Shutter, and Choppy Mall is on Shutter, like I just mentioned. So all right, let's get to it. Let's get into Goodfellas. 30 years this September. Let's kick it off by going around the room and asking what was the first time you saw Goodfellas? Let's kick it off with Jenny. I'm probably, I can't remember the exact date itself, but I'm pretty sure I watched it with my dad. Um, my dad and I used to watch a lot of movies like together and um, there really was no censorship in my house. I think just because like I was always pretty mature that they that I knew that movies are fake. This isn't real life. Obviously, things can be inspired and whatever. But um, my parents were very open with me. So I'm actually pretty sure that the first time I probably watched it was more than likely like in the living room when my dad had it on. I know I remember this being one of um, he was a big fan of gangster movies. So this was definitely at the top of his list. And so I feel like probably the first time was when um, he's watching it in the living room and I probably came in and I was just like, what is it? And then probably paid no mind and then really didn't realize it until like years later when it was probably on like HBO and I watched it more on my own. Cool. Ryan, what about you? Um, Again, I can't remember the exact date, but I remember my uncle really getting me into it. Like we would quote the movie to each other. It was definitely one of the early summers of my life. Like, I can't remember exactly when, but it was because my uncle and my grandmother were really into the gangster film. So, all like, and anything gangster related. So, I was able to watch that with them. And I loved it from the very beginning. I started watching it. Leo, what about you? Uh, very much like Jenny. Uh, my dad, my dad and my home, like, my, my parents used to always, like, rent, like, uh, the local blockbuster or Hollywood video. They would get like two VHSs or something every Sunday, and we'd watch it as a family. And my dad just loved anything with De Niro, Pacino. Like he was freaking like. So I remember that. I don't remember exactly what the viewing was like. Um, so I remember later on in life rewatching it because it's like you want to like appreciate it. Uh, but I know my first viewing was definitely in my living room with my parents and my little sister watching it on a, a rental VHS. So for me, I caught this late. Uh, so for me, I saw it 2003, 2002, when my mob film obsession started. I had seen Scarface, then I went to Godfather, Godfather 2, Godfather 3, and then I decided to um, go to Best Buy, long walk that I had during my senior year. Um, I would usually get out at 12, 1230 senior year. So I took a, a walk to Best Buy, bought the DVD, came home and was floored. I immediately fell in love with it. I think the first 25 minutes of that movie are some of the best ever. 
because of how it completely brings you into the not just Henry's life but the mob culture. I think it does, and we're gonna get into that a little later. But I think it's it's so brilliant. And yeah, that was the first time I saw Goodfellas, so I caught it a little late. But after that, it's become a staple and one of my favorite films of all time. So let's get into the production of the film. So Goodfellas is one of it's an adaptation, and I know Jenny loves books. So Goodfellas is actually based on New York crime reporter Nicholas Pelegi's book Wise Die. Originally, and I think I'm not sure if you guys know this, Mars Scorsese was actually done with mob films, but when he saw a review of Pelegi's book, and uh, he decided to read it while on the set of Color of Money, and that right after he read it is when he decided to make the film. So he was completely done with mob films until he read the book. In regards to production of the film, there, the Scorsese decided to postpone the making of the film when the funds materialized in 1988 to make The Last Temptation of Christ. That's another controversial movie on its own. Uh, he was he was drawn to the documentary aspects of Pelegi's book. Uh, he, he was quoted as saying, the book Wise Guy gives you a sense of day-to-day life, how they work, how they take over certain nightclubs, and for what reasons. It shows how everything is done. He saw Goodfellas as the third film in an unplanned trilogy of films that examine the lives of Italian-Americans from slightly different angles. He has often described the film as a mob home movie that is about money because that's what they're really in business for. Two weeks in advance of the filming, the real Henry Hill was paid $400,000. In regarding to the screenplay, Scorsese and Pelegli collaborated on the screenplay and over the course of 12 drafts, it took to actually finish the script. And regarding the casting, once Robert De Niro agreed to play Jimmy Conway, Scorsese was able to secure the money needed to make the film. So it it reminds me a lot of how Burton was able to get Batman after he got Nicholson. True. Sure. So once, yeah. once Marty got Bobby on, the rest is history. Now... Regarding the box office, the movie opened at Ven- the Venice Film Festival September 9th, 1990, and it released in the U.S. September 19th, 1990. The, mo- the film cost $25 million to make. Unfortunately, the box office is not as high as you guys would expect. So the worldwide box office for Goodfellas is only $46.8 million. So I would have expected this to be at least a hundred mil, especially with the the status that it has today. But it actually did not do as well as uh, many expected. Going into the trophy room, unlike some of the films that we've covered on these reel it backs, especially the last few weeks, this is a long list. So regarding the Venice Film Festival, it won Silver Lion for Best Director. It won the Audience Award for Best Picture. It won the Film Critica Baston Blanco Award, Bianco Award for Scorsese. At the New York Film Critics Circle Award, it won the Best Film, Best Director, Best Actor. Los Angeles Film Critics Award won Best Film, Director, Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress, Cinematography. National Board of Review, Best Supporting Actor. Boston Society of Film Critic Award, Best Film, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, Chicago Film Critics Association Award. It won Best Film, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actors, Best Screenplay. National Society of Film Critics Award. It won Best Film, Best Director. Do you guys see a trend here? 
Ah, here we go. <laughs> here, here comes the bad news. At BAFTA, the movie won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Editing, and Best Costume Design. Unfortunately, at the Golden Globes, it won. It did not win any awards. <laughs> and then at the Oscars, it did not. It won one. <laughs> it was nominated for Picture, Director, Editing, Screenplay, Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress, and it only won Best Supporting Actor for Joe Pesci. We've talked about this in previous episodes, how this is one of the, if not the worst, Best Picture loss of all time. I I and rewatching the film, I I I can't imagine. I, I I don't know. Maybe I'm just not into Kevin Costner directing movies about him dancing with wolves. I I just, I just got nothing. I got nothing on that. I think this is this movie falls in line with. It's not as passionate. There's not as much passionate love for Goodfellas uh, as for this movie over Goodfellas. But like, I think the King's Speech has a really bad reputation now because of what it beat how a lot of cinephiles really, really love Social Network. I think the reputation that Dancing with Wolves has now mirrors what King's Speech has. It's, it's pretty crazy. In, regarding to, in regards to AFI, AFI, which lists our top 100 movies of all time, it's listed as the 94th greatest movie ever made. The 90, during the updated 10th anniversary, it went, it was bumped up to 92nd greatest movie ever made. AFI's top 10 gangster films, it's listed at number two. I do disagree with that ranking. I think it should be number three, and we'll get to that later. Now, Leo mentioned before The Sopranos. The Sopranos and Goodfellas shared 27 actors. Wow. <laughs> So I'm going to go through all of them for you. <laughs> <laughs> so number one, Lorraine Bracco, Jennifer Melfi in The Sopranos is Karen Hill in Goodfellas. The second biggest note is Michael Imperioli, who plays Christopher Maltesanti on The Sopranos, played Spider in Goodfellas. And Leo, now that you've rewatched Goodfellas, if you remember in season one of The Sopranos, Chrissy shoots someone in the foot. When he's yes. picking up the don't, that's obviously a nod to good. Yeah, because even says it happens. <laughs> this one I did not know. Tobin Bell, who plays the major in The Sopranos season three, also plays the parole officer in Goodfellas. Didn't even recognize him until I saw the picture of him while doing the research. Yeah, Jigsaw is in the Sopranos. That's insane. <laughs> the next one up is one of. Leo's favorite character in The Sopranos, and I think one of everyone's favorite characters, Tony Cicero, plays Paulie in The Sopranos and plays Tony Stacks in Goodfellas. The next one up, Frank Vincent plays Billy Bats in Goodfellas, and he plays Leo's favorite character in The Sopranos, Phil Leotardo. Wait, Dave, and he looks so different on Goodfellas, too. You think so? I think he looks exactly the same, except he has a mustache. Yeah, I agree with Dave. I thought it, I thought he looked chubbier. Like I, I honestly, I had to I had to rewatch with the mustache. <laughs> but uh, I think I thought he looked a little bit like more heavy too. I I guess I mean facial wise, I guess that face is hard to to not recognize. So speaking of faces that are not hard to recognize, Vincent Pastore plays Big Pussy on The Sopranos, and he's the guy in the that's messing around with the coat rack in Goodfellas during the the Copacabana scene. Yep. Okay. 
Uh, Susan Shepard, as Mary DeAngelis, that's Carm's mother in The Sopranos, plays Karen's mother in Goodfellas. Frank Albanese, as Uncle ba- uh, Pat Blundetto in The Sopranos, plays the mob lawyer in Goodfellas. Tony Darrow, as Larry Bosparisi in The Sopranos, plays Sonny Buns in Goodfellas. Sonny Buns is the one that uh, Joe Pesci beats up after the the funny scene. Uh, to- oh, okay. Tony Lip as Carmine Lupertazzi Sr. in The Sopranos is also Frankie the Wop in Goodfellas. And if you guys don't know who Tony Lip is, Tony Lip is the inspiration, one of the inspirations for the Best Picture winner, Good, uh, Green Book. Uh, Frank Pellegr- Pellegrino is Bureau Chief Frank Subsetto in The Sopranos, and he plays Johnny Dio in Goodfellas. Chuck Lau as Shulmo Titleman in The Sopranos plays uh, Mer- Morris Kessler in Goodfellas. Next up, Paul Herman as Beansy in Sopranos is Dealer in Goodfellas. Nicole Burdett as Barbara Soprano in um, The Sopranos was also Carbone's girlfriend in Goodfellas. Marion Leon as Joanne Moltisanti, which is Chrissy's mom, who was also Tootie's wife in Goodfellas. And Daniel Picante play in The Sopranos was also Dr. Dan in Goodfellas. And last one, John Cha-Cha. So in The Sopranos, he's the guy that runs the executive game like the dealer i don't know if you guys remember. okay he's also yeah, yeah, yeah. he was also in bats crew in goodfellas so for the rest uh i'll give the link to jen if you guys want to go through every single one and see pictures of the characters in each of their roles all righty let's get to our categories what's age best for you ryan take it away age best was um funny how the soundtrack overall, and just the, oh, the the character development and the characters themselves. Leo? Yeah, I had um, the set design of New York City, um, particularly in like the 1940s. Um, the gangster mentality, I think that that aged really well, because like, even though they, maybe the Italian-American mafia isn't super like prevalent, like that whole, like you can hear snippets of this movies like into like hip-hop songs today. Yeah. Um, Karen being a powerful woman in the beginning, when she hunted down Henry, that aged really well because um, it gave us a little bit more of like female empowerment. Um, but yeah, overall, yeah, that's that's what I got for age well, and then soundtrack. So age best for me, I think Henry and Karen's first date. That shot, that one take shot of them going into the Copacabana from the kitchen all the way to the floor to the them setting bringing a table and setting it up right in front of the stage i think it, it's aged really well not just based on how well it was shot but the fact that it kind of welcomes you into how connected these guys really are that they can just go they go in through the back door and just like nothing they already have a table set up for them that wasn't even there to begin with. They just brought it up and set it up for Henry there. I think that aged beautifully. And going along with you guys, the music of the film is sensational. That music is so, so, so great. Uh, age worse. I I wonder if we all if we have something similar. Uh, Ryan, take it away. 
the pretty much all white cast and some of the slurs. Uh, Leo? Yeah, this was tough. <laughs> I put Dad beating up Henry at the beginning and, <laughs> um, and, and some of the slurs, but I couldn't find much. Leah, uh, Jen, do you have anything? I would agree with that. I think some of the slurs and uh, the good, I think um, just overall the narrative story and especially like the way Ray Liotta was able to narrate everything. I like the way Scorsese used that technique throughout mm-hmm. the film because um, you really get to feel and hear his point of view. Yeah, the narration's fantastic. I agree. And it, obviously the acting because I think everybody did a terrific job yeah. no matter what. You can't like, you can think of all of their, they're all strong performances. It's crazy Ray Liotta where, where his career went. I, 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 yeah. we'll talk about that later. Age worse. I think the final 15, 20 minutes really, I, to this day, I still have a hard time with. Um, I think, I understand what Scorsese's trying to do. He's trying to create a sense of chaos in Henry's life. Like he has to go pick up the drugs. He has to go drop off the guns at, at, um, uh, at Bobby's house. Then he has to watch out for the helicopter that he thinks is following him. I understand like what he's trying to accomplish there, but I, I don't know. I just, it doesn't hit for me. I think it's not it as opposed to everything else in the movie. I think that stands out for me as something that really, for me, hasn't really aged too well. So with that being said, that guy form award. What about Leo? Did Leo want to kick us off? Yeah, dude. So with that guy, it's funny because at first I was having a hard time because everyone I saw, I'm like, wait, he's from he's from Sopranos. He's from Sopranos. <laughs> <laughs> but if I had seen this, if I had seen this before episode one of the Sopranos, everybody would have been reversed. It would have been like, wait, he's from Goodfellas. He's from Goodfellas. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, so I mean, aside from the 27 cameos from the Goodfellas and Sopranos crossover, I actually went with Paul Sorvino as a that guy. I went with I think him as well. He, yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Because I, I remember, I remember that even though I watched it when I was little, also Paul Sorvino was someone that I only really recognized from from Goodfellas when I was growing up. Yeah, and I'm well aware he's been in a lot of things. I think he was on Law and Order or something along those lines yeah. too. Uh, but I, I, every time I see him, I'm like, oh, that's the guy from from Goodfellas. And when I said we're gonna get to the Ray Liotta thing, I really wanted to put Ray Liotta because <laughs> it, this is I, I put him. <laughs> I don't know if you guys agree. Being in Goodfellas, being in a Scorsese film that's this, that you're that good in, even though I don't think Henry is that interesting of a character in a long stretch of things because of, like, I don't know. I just think that I don't like the whole rat thing. But um, I think, like, this is you're given the keys to the hotel. You're the star of a Martin Scorsese film. His career should have been much better than it it has. He's been a consistent actor, but he should have been a leading man, not just a character actor. And that's what he became, a character actor, not a leading man. Well, do you think he was also kind of typecast after this because he was so good playing So was Pacino! And did it hurt Pacino? What was De Niro? It didn't hurt De Niro. Pesci, Pesci, I mean, if Pesci can... Leo, you broke up there. Can you repeat that? Do like he was freaking. He went in to become Marv in Home Alone. Like if 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 Pesci can survive it, Leota should have survived it. Yeah, I mean, if you, I don't know if you knew this, but the year Goodfellas was released was so the same year Home Alone was released. So talk about two different roles in the same year. 
I just I just don't think Leota did what as much as I thought he was going to do. I mean, you do you think he he's a character actor? Essentially, no, he's a character I would say actor. He is. I mean, he's had some leads in other films, but it. I think by that he never it's, came close. It's he never... I mean, he's a character actor in Marriage Story. Yeah, perfect example. Now perfect. nowadays, you know, and then he was doing TV for a while, and then before that, he was in uh. Heartbreakers, was and I think he, Weaver. and well, I think he was a, a lead in there, but it's a different kind of role. And I think he's a good actor. I just think he should have done way more than he did. Yeah. And Rye, do you have any other reasons why Leota's on yours? Nah, like you said, just he should have done so much more. But every time I see him in anything, whether it be that Wild Hogs movie or anything, he's Henry O. And just like Leo. I also have all the B gangsters that, you know, show up throughout the movie. And you know who, um, we're going to talk about this next week, but it's crazy that Andy Garcia did a better job than Ray Liotta in terms of his career after Godfather 3. And I think Liotta's better than Garcia, and we'll get to that next week, but you don't, don't, you don't think so? You think you're... I think Garcia is a. You ca- mean in the movie itself? Yeah, though? no more in the movies. And after the post career, after Goodfellas and Godfather three, I think Garcia had a better career. Oh yeah, no, I agree with that. But he's also done a lot of producing too and directing. Yeah, he's done but a I'm lot of about different as an project. actor. So but right, like you're talking about his role in what we're going to talk about next week, as opposed to like Ray Liotta being better in this role. No, I'm talking about their post career after these movies. Okay. I think Garcia has had a better on film career. Okay. Oh, we'll discuss that more on Garcia next week. All right. And I, I have a that girl from. You better not say Lorraine Bracco. No. Okay. Well, actually, to be honest, other than showing up in The Sopranos and maybe an occasional film here and there, for me, she comes out. She's not my choice, but she comes out as where I know her here from Goodfellas. Like this was more so, the ultimate performance for her. I will say, but that's not my choice. I will say that. Now I feel she's more Melfi than she is Karen Hill. Yeah. Like I don't say, oh yeah, that's the lady from the Supreme. I mean, the lady from Goodfellas. I say that's Doctor Melfi, but I don't know. That's mine. Who do you have? So my that girl from is Debbie Mazar. Really? Yeah. Well, because this is like I think one of her first movies, and this is where I recognize her the most. And then after that, like yeah, she was on Entourage. She's Entourage. Yeah, but that's not. <laughs> that's not where I remember her the most from. I remember her from this movie because she's like coked out half of her oh, yeah. half of the movie. And then obviously like she's on another TV show now called Younger. So like that's where I, I know her the most Fun from. fact about Debbie Mazer, I thought that was the nanny for like twenty years. No, that is not Fran Drescher. <laughs> Alrighty. Next up we have the that the There is no crying a baseball award. I don't think anyone cried here, right guys? And nope. now all right, perfect. No. Next up, Detlef Shrimp, Six Man of, of the Film Award, Best Supporting Player. I went with Lorraine Bracco. She is sensational. She is absolutely, she is the glue to that film. I think she's so, so great. I think she's Henry's partner in crime. She goes in, she marries him anyway. She knows exactly what he does, um, where it comes from. I think you see as much as Henry grows th- throughout the film, I think you see her growth, especially like, in the beginning, like not being sure of him, then being sure, getting married, 
seeing what it's like to be a mob wife and then eventually just sort of like this ex- it's almost like the the stages of grief or i think like where she's just finally accepted she's a mob wife and she's used to the fbi raiding them every so often and then like to then when she gets to like the final end and um, everything that she does I, there. I think it's funny when she throws away the cocaine and they have an argument about throwing away the <laughs> cocaine. I think I it's mean, really funny. Realistically, had I been Karen, I would have done the same shit. I mean, in reality, what was I going to do? Hide it and then they would have gotten it from you anyway? Yep, I agree. Uh, outside of picture and director, I think that's the biggest travesty on Oscar night that she didn't win the Oscar. Just, I think she is sensational and the reason i don't put ray liotta as a travesty is because he wasn't even nominated for best actor in the movie uh what do you got ryan i actually have since i went outside the main cast i went with paulie really okay because you know if it wasn't he gets everything started and he's like a constant there you know he gets henry the into the restaurant business he gets henry into the business in general and just all, like, he tries to help Henry, like, stay away from that stuff. He helps him in jail. And even at the very last moment before he rats, he's like, here's a couple of grand. And you got to respect him. What did he give him? What did he end up with? Like, 2200 3600 3600 Okay. All right, Leo, what do you have? Right on line with, uh, with Ryan. I got Polly. Yeah, that, that was my sixth man. Because you're right. It was without, like, the whole, the whole story begins because he idolizes Polly and he wants to be, like, in that world. So, yeah, with everything that Ryan said, I a thousand percent agree. Awesome. All right. And then last category before we get into our fun facts, Becky O'Shea Icebox Award. Who was the MVP of the film? If it's not Joe Pesci, who is your MVP? Jenny. No, I would say it's Joe Pesci. Okay. <laughs> and Ryan and Leo, is it anyone else? I can't. Yeah. Nope, Tommy. Oh, it's, it's Tommy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. um. We kind of held off on talking about Pesci because I knew we were going to get I to mean, this I point. I mean, I think this is his best role, and honestly, this is where I remember him the most, except for Home Alone. It's for his, me. It's, I, I will go along as saying I think it's his second best performance of his career. Oh, and my cousin Vinny. I think That's Irish, the other one. <laughs> I, think Ar- I think Irishman is his best performance. Now. Oh, he was great. I Well, yeah, I guess I, you're right. All right, my fourth. I think Irishman. I, I, I've seen it twice already, and I've seen Goodfellas many, many, many more times. I just think he had a stereotype performance that he usually does going into Irishman. So the fact that he was able to accomplish what he did and make it so subtle, make it so different, and still be as effective as he was as Tommy and Goodfellas, I think it's so, so impressive for me. So I mean, they're, they're top two. I, I love Tommy. Uh, what's your favorite Tommy scene? Is it is it the funny or is it something else? Ryan. Funny how. Funny how? Definitely. Yeah, definitely funny how. So quotable. Uh, so it's funny. Uh, it's funny is yeah, that's, that's, an, that's an iconic scene. I really, for some reason, I really love the car scene when he's trying to convince yes. um, uh, Henry <laughs> to go on the date. She's <laughs> like, you can tell they're just boys, and he's like, "You're about to ask me something. I'm not gonna say yes." He's like, what do you mean? I'm not gonna ask you anything. And then he asks. Him. Uh, I thought it was great. I love. Well, funny is my favorite, one of my favorite scenes from him. I actually going to piggyback off you, Leo. I love when they're actually at the restaurant and you see Tommy's face when Henry's just rushing through the date and trying to leave. His face is like, yo, this fucking guy, man. Like, he can't just, like, take it for the team for one night. I think it's so, so hilarious. Jenny, do you have anything? 
So I think mine would be when they go have dinner, right? I think it's after they had buried the bodies when they go have dinner at oh, his mother's house who is, or they eat. Who yeah. is played by? Martin Scorsese's mother. Very good. Yeah. So I don't know. I just thought that was I thought that was an interesting um, juxtaposition between both, right? Like here they just I think it killed was when someone. they killed yeah, someone, they buried his body, right? And then they're like, oh, let me go over and check on my ma. And then she's feeding them like a true Italian mother. And they're all just sitting around the table talking. And it's just like, you know, you can see that obviously for this other person, he they killed. And like, there's no compassion there, no nothing, no care. But then here he goes over to his like older mother's house. And it's just such a different kind tone. Of, kind of like the Sopranos. Yeah, Very. but his mother was terrible. Oh, no, 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 no. Lydia was a bitch. I'm talking about the killing someone and you're able to disconnect right oh, away. Oh, yeah, And go yeah. back to your family. Right, like yeah. they just didn't, you know, because it's not the same thing. Fun fact, that whole scene was ad-libbed. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it just shows how impressive that was. All right, so because this is the 30th anniversary of Goodfellas, I decided to get 30 facts about the classic film. And I always like coming with some hot takes on here because... I know Leo and Ryan love these fun facts. Oh, yeah. I look forward to them every week. So going with the the Tommy, according to Henry Hill, whose life was the basis for the book and the film, Joe Pesci's portrayal of Tommy was 90 to 99% accurate with one notable exception. The real Tommy was massively built. Oh, wow. According to the author, some mobsters were hired as extras to lend authenticity to scenes. The mobsters gave fake social security numbers to Warner Brothers, so to this day, it is unknown if they ever actually were paid for the appearing in the, uh, on set. In the documentary The Real Goodfella, which aired in the UK, Henry claimed that Robert De Niro would phone him seven to eight times a day to discuss certain things about Jimmy's characters, such as how Jimmy would hold a cigarette and use ketchup. And then I've mentioned this before, uh, Martin Scorsese read the book while on the set of The Color of Money, but he first got wind of the book when he was handed the galley proofs. Although Scorsese has had sworn up, like I mentioned before, making another film, uh, mob film, once he read the book, he was on board. He said, I've been waiting for this phone call my entire life. While, I, while Scorsese also added, I've been waiting for this book my entire life. According to Ray Liotta, Martin Scorsese was so involved in every detail of the cast wardrobe that he tied Ray Liotta's tie himself to make sure it was an accurate for the film setting. Th oh, wow. This casting broke my heart, and I didn't know about this. <sighs> Al Pacino was offered the role of Jimmy Conway, but he turned it down. Oh, wow. The reason he turned it down, he had fears of typecasting. <laughs> Ironically, the same year, Pacino not only did Godfather 3... But he only play he played an even more stereotype gangster, Big Boy Caprice and Dick Tracy. The decision to turn down Goodfellas was a decision that uh, Pacino has admitted that he regrets. I would too. <laughs> who do, you, do you think he would have done well, Pacino? Uh, who was he going to be playing, Jimmy? I, I I never thought that I would say this because I never thought it would be a big fact. It's never been a factor in any Pacino performance, but I think De Niro plays it better because he's taller than Pacino. I've always thought the heights of each, the fact that they 
Tommy's the shortest, and then Ray, and uh, then Henry, then Jimmy. All three of them, height-wise, one's taller than the other. <laughs> I've always thought that that was like, even for the photo on the film, I've always loved the fact that they're each one is taller than the other. Performance-wise, I think they would have both done phenomenal. All right. Yeah. Next up, Ray Liotta's mother died of cancer during the filming. Liotta's gone on record to say that he used his anger over losing his mother for certain scenes, including the pistol whipping scene in particular. Mm. The studio was initially very nervous about the film due to the extreme violence and language. The film reportedly received the worst premium response in the studio's history. Martin Scorsese said that numbers were so low it was funny. Nevertheless, the film was released without any alteration to overwhelming critical acclaim, cementing Scorsese's reputation as one of cinema's greatest directors. The how I'm funny scene was actually based on something that actually happened in Joe Pesci's real life. While working at a restaurant, a young Pesci apparently told the mobster that he was funny, a compliment that was met with, with less than enthusiastic response. Pesci relayed the antidote to Martin Scorsese, and it was eventually used in the film. The Lufthansa heist that took place in the film was actually solved in 2014, and most of the surviving members were arrested. Oh, wow. Yep. The character of Fat Andy, who Andrew introduces in the bar, was played by Louis Apolito, an ex-NYPD detective whose father, uncle, and cousin had all been in the mafia. In 2005, Luis himself and a police partner were arrested and charged with racketeering, obstruction of justice, extortion, and up to eight murders. They were both sentenced to life in prison plus 80 years. This is actually funny after all the curse words that were used in the film. After Joe Pesci's mother saw the film, she told her son that the movie was good, then asked him why he had to curse so much. Speaking of cursing, the F word and was used 321 times throughout the movie. Makes Tarantino happy as hell. For sure. An average of 2.0 F-words per minute. The crazy thing is, almost half of the F-words were used by Joe Pesci. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like I mentioned before, the dinner scene at Tommy's mother's house was almost completely improvised by cast members, including Tommy asking his mother if he could borrow her butcher's knife and Jimmy's hoof comment. The painting on the wall in the background shows The Last Supper, which coincides with Martin Scorsese previously directed The Last Temptation of Christ. Speaking of De- uh, regarding Debbie Mazur, who Jenny mentioned before, her during the scene where her character trips after meeting Henry for the first time, that was a blooper. But Marty thought it was uh, it was a great addition to the film because it showed how overwhelmed she was as a character to Henry. So he decided to leave it in the film. Next up, Nicholas Pelegli, the author, talked to Henry O constantly while writing the script with Morris Corsese. He says the voiceovers were the key to the movie and that they are almost exact quotes from Henry Hill. Ray Liotta came to view uh, for the lead for Scorsese after In Something Wild. I've never seen that film. I'm not sure Jenny has. or And Field of Dreams, which he is has a minor role in Field of Dreams, and especially loves his explosive energy in uh, Something Wild. Next up, at the end of the movie, when Tommy fires a couple of rounds in the camera, while that's weird in terms of placing, it is actually an homage to a 1903 film titled The Great Train Robbery. 
According to Ray Liotta, he was pranked on set. Bobby De Niro and Tina Sinatra put a fake severed horse head in his trailer. <laughs> Similar to 1972's The Godfather. The long tracking shot that I mentioned before that I love took seven takes. One take was ruined by Henry Youngman, who forgot his lines. And regarding the take, Scorsese was inspired by Brian De Palma's The Untouchables. This is interesting. Martin Scorsese has said that Marlon Brando tried to persuade him to not make Goodfellas. Hmm. No, no reason why he, he would do that. Um, this one more for Jenny. And she, I, I, I have a feeling Jenny will have something to say here. Lorraine Bracco found the shoot to be an emotionally difficult shoot. Why? Because it was such a male-dominated cast, and she, she realized that she did not make her work important and noticeable. It would probably end up on the cutting room floor. It's true. It's true. I thought you would have like a more passionate take. No, but it's true. I mean, like her, Debbie Mazar. Maybe some of those mob wives, which were the B characters, she was predominantly the only female around, she, and you yeah, have all those was. boisterous like guys. So I'm sure, I'm sure it probably wasn't quite fun on set. And they're also all very old school, probably in their mentality. So who knows what went rampant? I don't on think the anything set. would have gone. But, I mean, we would have found out by now. I know. think. Well, not even like anything bad in the sense of like sexual harassment or whatever, but maybe like a joke here and there, or like. You know, so I'm not surprised. All right. Next up, this is just a fun Oscar uh, note. Joe Pesci's Oscar speech is the sixth shortest in the Academy's history. I don't know if you guys have ever seen his speech, but all Joe Pesci said when he won the Oscar was, it's my privilege. Thank you. He, the reason he only had that to say, I'm shocked of this, was because he admitted that he did not think he was going to win. So he never made a speech. Which is pretty crazy. Uh, Mars Scorsese originally wanted to use Frank Sinatra's version of My Way at the end of the film. However, Sinatra would not allow Scorsese the rights to view to the version of the song. Which is why I it I never was able to find out why. So they still used My Way, but they used Sid Vicious's My Way at the end of the film. Uh, Henry oh. Hill, like I mentioned, was paid. Between four hundred eighty thousand to five hundred fifty thousand for the film, according to Hill, he called his salary chump change. Why? Because compared, he used to make fifteen to forty thousand dollars a week during his mob days. He claims that he blew almost all his mob money on partying and degenerate gambling problem. Uh, this was the first film from the nineteen nineties to be inducted into the National Film Registry. Three more to go. John Gotti's lawyer, Bryce Bruce Cutler, was not a fan of the film and told Newsday that it was a waste of his time and saw the movie as a nonsensical. Next up, Mars Scorsese saw this as, like I mentioned before, the third of an unplanned trilogy. I wonder what the rest of that trilogy would have been. We could probably put that together. Like The Irishman could be one of the films in that trilogy if you really look at it. And yeah. it could be, look at it like this. The Goodfellas, Casino, and The Irishman. That's the trilogy. I like it. And if that's the case, it's one of the best trilogies of all time. True. And then last last two, Ray Liotta was so intimidated by Robert De Niro that he really wanted 
De Niro to like him so much that De Niro had to put Leota at ease by saying, don't worry about it. This is all going to work out. And finally, wow. casting. Do you guys know or have any any idea who was originally thought of to play Karen and Henry Hill? No idea. Jenny, any guesses? Who? Leo, any guesses? Nada. Madonna and Tom Cruise. Oh my god! Oh, thank God that didn't happen. Well, Tom Cruise, I would have, I could have seen Tom Cruise. I'm not in a Madonna, but with Tom Cruise. But Madonna at that time had more of a film career. She had what just gotten on Dick own. Tracy, and League of Their Own. League of Their Own. Um, what else? Um, Desperately Seeking Susan was her start. So I'm actually not surprised at Madonna because, like, you could have had. Also, she's best friends with Debbie Mazar. Just fun fact. Yeah, that's interesting. Jenny with her own fun facts. Yes. Yeah. Interesting, inter- <laughs> interesting casting. I I like the Tom Cruise one, but I don't... Yeah, I, I don't know how I would feel with Madonna, especially when we got with Lorraine Bracco. But yeah, those I are my... I can't see any of this movie with any other cast, though. I agree. Can you imagine like someone else playing Tommy? Like Even thinking no. about someone else playing Tommy. I don't even think there's anyone that, as good at that time to play Tommy. That's how great it was. But yeah, let's get to the legacy and finish off this this celebration. Legacy of the film. I think this is one of the best movies ever made. It's my number nine favorite film of all time. I think it's impeccably well made. It's While it's my favorite Scorsese film, I still think Taxi Driver is his best made film. Uh, but yeah, it's my favorite Scorsese film. In terms of inspiration, I mentioned The Sopranos, but I actually have uh, a quote regarding Goodfellas' inspiration to David Chase. Uh, He's quoted as saying, Goodfellas is a very important movie to me, and Goodfellas really plowed that. I found that movie very funny and brutal, and I felt it was very real. And yet, that was the first mob movie that Scorsese ever dealt with a mob crew as opposed to The Godfather, which is something operatic about it. Classical, even clothing and cars. You know, I always think about Goodfellas when they go to their mother's house the night when they're eating, you know, and when she brings out the painting, the stuff is great. And as we mentioned before, 27 actors were in The Sopranos that were in Goodfellas. So I think it's clear cut top three mom movies of all time after godfather and godfather 2 uh ryan any thoughts it's my number three a you know of all time i can watch this movie over and over and over again um and yeah i'll just go home and get your fucking shine box <laughs> leo uh yeah legacy wise it's undeniable that this movie was one of the best made it's still a travesty that it lost out to dances with the wolves even <laughs> though i don't hate dances with the wolves um but even, I hate even it for that a, reason. But even 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 as a non like not not a you know a, a mob fanboy, you can't deny how awesome this movie is. The performances are just incredible, and it's 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 uh, so many portable moments that yeah, it's a, it, it still withstands the test of time. Jenny, um, I think it's one of the best mob movies, if not well, no, no, I won't say it because then I'm gonna get divorced. <laughs> I was gonna say the best. And I get divorced because it's It's the Godfather. I know, I know. Godfather part two. I got it. Um, It's a great movie. Great mob movie. And uh, I think, like I said before, the 
the performances. Every actor comes in, um, gives it their all. Like there's there's strong performances. Great director. I think the narration, everything is key. The soundtrack itself supports it, and it was actually one of my choices on Instagram um, for one of my favorite movie soundtracks. Um, I think it's a movie that, while there are certain things that haven't been able to age well, most of it still does. And I think if we add on another 30 years from now, we still have this podcast and we're still here and we do a retrospect on 60 years. Uh, we'll see how well it's continued because I think it, it's very timeless in a way. It is timeless. And I think the genre really started to die after Goodfellas. The mob genre. I would say maybe a Bronx Tale is after that. That's it. And, but and, and now the that's, Irishman. That's yeah, about it. I think that's it. Because I, I don't put Casino up there the way everyone else does. I think it's a very good movie. And I still, if this is like we joked about the trilogy before, I'd still put it up there. It's like the Godfather 3 of the trilogy. I don't think Casino's anywhere near Goodfellas or the Irishman. I no, think, and I had never seen it. And I watched it, I think, a few years back. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't the same because i was like what's you know what is casino? yeah i actually originally put um casino in my top 10 scorsese films and i think it's a very well directed film but seeing i've been able to catch up on other stuff like i think last temptation of christ is up there for me now because he what he uh, if you it's it's a very controversial film but i think scorsese does a remarkable job with that movie but yeah no i think it's like i mentioned before it's one of the best movies ever made next week we are going to look at the opposite of 1990s mob best picture nominees and the godfather part three i can't wait to actually touch base on it i think this may be a more positive look at it outside of sofia coppola than many expect don't hate sofia that performance is one of the worst things i have (laughs) ever seen in my life it is abysmally terrible there's Yeah, like, we'll it, talk more about it. It's like next she was week. in a Josh Trank movie. We're going to talk more about it next week. Really, really bad. So, all right. So, next week, we're going to look at The Godfather Part 3, and then we're going to kick off May with a look at the VSQ universe. Really looking forward to the next two weeks. Until then, get your fucking shot, Bob.